you hit on on a piece that is new. Your your fans don't probably don't know this yet, but it's something new that's coming this year. People talk all the time about customer experience, right? But it's never, almost never, their North Star. But you're doing something this year where you're actually sacrificing revenue to make sure the customer fan experience is better. Can you dive yeah. into that a little bit? Hundreds of thousands of dollars, yeah. probably millions of dollars we are sacrificing. Yeah. And this is not in the book because this is recent. Because what I believe, and again, one thing that we talk a lot about, which is, is new to us, is how do you create you wouldn't believe moments? So I believe... Uh, there was above and beyond service, there was wow, wow moments, but the next level is you wouldn't believe. That's a ripple effect where people <laughs> literally will go tell everyone, you wouldn't believe what happened when I went to the ballpark. You wouldn't believe this restaurant, how they treated me. You wouldn't believe, you wouldn't believe. How do you mm. create that? And so for you wouldn't believe, for us, the definition is something unexpected, something dramatically different, something that provides positive emotion. So how do you create those? So we're constantly focused on that. And the first step to create you wouldn't believe moments is what I call the mirror moment. And you have to eliminate the things that aggravate your customers. Mm -hmm. You know, get rid of the friction points, get rid of the things that are frustrating. And for us, it started with baseball was too long, too slow, too boring. We made it fun, all the promotions. The next thing you get nickel and dime to the ballpark. Hmm. So every ticket for us is completely all inclusive. All wow. your burgers, your hot dogs, your chicken sandwiches, your soda, your water, your popcorn, your dessert, everything for 18 total dollars, including your ticket and your parking and everything. Because, wow. all right, because again, what's a frustration? You go to a ballpark and you get nickel and dime. So every day we are looking at what are those little frustration points? What are those things that aggravate and how do we eliminate them? So, you know, two months ago, we made everything free shipping. That cost us thousands of dollars because we don't, you don't pay $99 for, you know, bananas prime. We're not making our fans do that like Amazon. Oh, it's just completely free shipping. Because again, I think it's, it's not a good experience. I get upset when I go buy a $24 shirt and it's $32 yeah. because of shipping. That's a frustration point. Eliminate mm. it. We don't have extra convenience fees because that's the most inconvenience fee there is in the world. We don't have those. So keep going down that line. I kept thinking, I said, all right, when people go to a ballpark, they don't want to be advertised to. They don't want to be marketed to. They don't want to be sold to. I don't know one person in the world that wakes up in the morning and says, you know what? I hope I'm sold today. I hope someone markets something <laughs> to me today. I want to be, ugh. I want to be advertised to today. No one. It's noise. So why are we doing that at our ballpark? And the reality is every ballpark, every arena, every stadium in the world, they put ads on everything. Mm -hmm. You name it. They will yeah, find, oh, there's true. a new place for an ad. Oh, we can put them on our jerseys now. Let's put them on our players. Oh, we can get tattoos on our players next year with ads of companies. Right. It's getting outrageous. And it works. People pay money sure. for it. It works. But, but we're not doing that. Yeah, that you're literally cutting out millions of dollars, which yes. people that, that don't know the yes. baseball industry at all, un, unless you're at the professional level, and even it's getting to that point, it is all about sponsorships and, and yeah. partnerships so, so in yes. order to even be profitable. And so, you're just cutting that out. So we're about to announce at the end of February here, it's we're creating our first ever ad-free ballpark. Yeah, And so there will not be one billboard, not one program ad, not one announcement throwing away thousands of dollars because we are focused on long-term fans, not short-term profits. Yep. And so when people come to our ballpark, they're gonna be, it's all for them. And we're even going as far, you know what? We're giving the ballpark back to the fans. This year, fans are gonna get the opportunity to sign the wall, to put their name on our 1926 <laughs> ballpark. We're having the, the fan wall, all right? Eventually we're gonna keep looking, that's the phase one. We're gonna go phase two, maybe we're gonna start looking at how can we get fans actually walking on the field, not just before the game, not just after the game, maybe during the game. These are things that we're exploring. How do you give it back to the fans to give them experiences they can't have anywhere else? And that is, does not include something like getting advertised to over their head over and over again during a game. 
we're saying goodbye to it. One of the things that you just hit on too, and, and I've noticed I think three or four times already, uh, is the empowerment aspect. So with these 1099s, you're empower, or W2s, I mean, you're, you're empowering them. And now through the book, through speaking, through telling your truth, all of the, the people listening, it's like it's like watching a movie, right? The the hero's journey that you hear in Story Brand. You're able to put yourself out there and be vulnerable and authentic, and people relate to that, and it empowers them to live a truth a truthful life that they probably wouldn't otherwise if they didn't if that lady didn't get that article and feel empowered enough to escape that domestic violence relationship. That's right. And that's why I wanted to take it another level with my employees. And that's why they take the test and they spend their 30 minutes with me. Now we're figuring out what the next step is of that. But remember, I've owned my business 32 years. It took me this long to feel that comfortable about myself to give it to others. Mm-hmm. So it's, um, it's, it's something you have to figure out on your own. And once you do, man, you unleash it. It's incredible. So I want to ask about uh, really a difficult aspect of this. So you've talked about being futuristic and maximizing, and all of that can be very daunting, but it can also be very spread out, right? Gary had talked about your focus as well. So let's dig in a little bit. How do you have your core values act as your North Star? Um, core values is an interesting subject into itself because mm-hmm. I used to think core values was something that you just picked words. Mm, yeah what what looks good on a billboard let's go through eight or nine different websites and find the ones that i like and we'll just (laughs) use those and i realized it had to be an exercise from the heart it had to be something that had a story and a meaning for me so you know one of the things is seeing the awesomeness in others and a story i'll tell very quickly when i was 15 and i had to go to my mother and tell her i was pregnant now remember my parents were the pillars of the community they were, uh, she played the organ every day in the church. My dad was a deacon, uh, was the chaplain of my school. And now I'm going to my mother telling her I'm pregnant. So a really fun conversation. Yeah, about really fun. <laughs> and, um, you know, I started off by saying, you won't love me anymore. Hmm. And she said, I think I will. You won't you tell me what you have to say? And I said, I think I'm pregnant. And she said, I think you are too. And I said, what do you mean you think I am? She said, well, you've gotten sick every morning for the last two weeks. And she turned to me and said, mm. I am so excited because I was afraid I was going to be too old to be a grandmother mm. one day because she had me later in life. Now, you know that's not what she was thinking right. at the time. But it was that unconditional love that she gave me at that moment wow that made me realize we have to give that in everything we do in business as well. So that seeing the awesomeness in others has to have a meaning for me. Now my employees have to take that and find the meaning within themselves. And that's what we're working on now is to take every value. And what does that word, what do those words mean to you? Uh, Never settle is another one. Say it, mean it, do it. I mean, these are all things that everybody should have a story around that means something to them. Because if it doesn't come from the heart, it's not a value. You've had different pivots in your career. And, and I know you're going to jump in and, and correct me on that. So let's start, <laughs> let's start there of, of what, when you hear the word pivot, what does that bring up for you? And then we'll dive into some of your experiences. So it's funny. I'm glad, I'm glad you asked that way. When I hear the word pivot, I almost have this negative physical reaction to that word. Because um, it's thrown out so much in general and through the pandemic we're in, we hear that word all the time. And I just, I don't know that it's the right word. I know what the word means, 
Um, but I think about, for example, let's go back, just go back to the mountain bike versus the dirt bike example. I went from mountain bike racing to dirt bike racing. Did I, did I pivot? No, I got to use probably 80% of my unique ability in the mountain bike stuff. How to be present in the race, how to control the start, be aware of my body, be aware, make sure I'm breathing, you know, race tactics, all that kind of stuff. It mapped over to the, to the dirt bike. So outside of looking in, you can say, hey, fish pivoted from the, the mountain bike to the dirt bike. But in my mind, I really didn't do it. I got to leverage all the stuff I was, I kind of mastered in the mountain bike to the dirt bike. So I think a lot of the same thing happens in business is that when we say the word pivot, most people think I have to do something totally different. I have to do a complete pivot. And what really needs to happen is you can probably leverage a huge amount of core competency that you have, skill set that you have, people that you have, and do something adjacent or like an extension of your flywheel, so to speak, and really take advantage of some huge opportunity right now. Um, so it doesn't feel like a pivot. I feel like a pivot, you're, you're saying no to the past because you want to know the future. You know, it, it should be something just an extension of what we do. Now, that thing that we do might end up really taking hold. And that thing might actually really scale and, and grow the company. You might sunset the other thing. It never really feels like a pivot. Got it. So it's more with how you're talking, what comes to mind as far as like the verbiage around it is more of, of shifting gears than it is of actually pivoting, right? Because right. You're, you're still using the same vehicle. You're using your past experiences. You're using your strengths. You're just applying it to something that is, that is may, maybe on a different track than, than what you were doing prior. So, so does, does that make right. sense? Am I hitting that right? Yeah, exactly right. It could be through the lens of you got a core customer or maybe you redefine what your core customer is. And so you're now doing something different for another group. It could be you're doing something new for your same core customers, another bolt on to what you're doing, product service. Um, you know, it doesn't have to be something tr completely dramatic, dramatically different. Yeah. And I think oftentimes it's dangerous to do that, to tell you the truth. Why is that? It's just a lot of risk. When you, if you really think about a true pivot, I mean, you can't really think in many companies who've actually done a true, true pivot. And I would actually argue the ones who have done a pivot, if you look at their kind of their flywheel, what kind of makes their company really work under the hood, it really wasn't a pivot. It was an extension of their own flywheel. And the example everybody thinks about is, you know, um, Intel back when Andy Grove was, was running the company and they did the big pivot. The biggest pivot of all time was when they went from the microchip to the, uh, went from semiconductor to the microchip. To outside world, it was the biggest pivot of all time. But if you actually go listen to some of the interviews with Andy, he says, you know what? It was a natural extension of what we were doing. It just looked like a pivot to the outside world. So you got to imagine if you're on Andy's team, it probably wasn't as shocking and as scary as it was on outside looking in. It has always been very easy for me to enter a room, no matter really what type of business it is, and understand that pretty quickly how it operates and potentially some of the ways that it could operate better. Mm -hmm. um, what was very challenging to me and, and I'll take one step back. To do that, you have to understand the human, right? So if you walk into a room and it, it's full of executives or, or operations folks, there are different personalities sitting at every seat. And to be successful, you would have to be able to pick up on the, the body language in a room. Uh, so very easy for me to do externally. It is something I still have to work very hard and study as well every day to be able to do it internally. So the, the common thread there is just being it, wanting to naturally help people be better. Um, externally, 
the, the return for that, of course, is someone either taking advantage of your products and services and paying you for it. It's pretty easy to understand. So you're very motivated to do that. And it's it's pretty simple math equation, right? Yeah. But internally, to to then figure out, oh, you can only go to so many meetings in a day. And no matter if you're going to close it just about every time you walk in, there's only so many hours. You have to replicate your efforts, and you can do that by taking that same level of focus and pouring it inside and letting that go outside. Mm-hmm. So here, and the, the, a really clear example, when there's good culture in the organization, if you've been in one that has it, your clients feel that, right? Mm-hmm. It's not really something that a specific person does in your organization, but when they enter a room, because of where they come from, they carry that with them, and a lot of it's nonverbal. So being able to figure that out and focus your efforts there has a much higher return. So, but it's up, the foundation of it is just really wanting to help people be better, whether it's a business that you're serving or someone who's on your team, they're unique and have strengths. How intentional are you about finding those and putting them in a place where they can leverage them and be better themselves? So, right, so it's, it's the same purpose internally, same internally purpose. or externally. Mm-hmm. The difference is just where you're employing your, your efforts and energy. And your strengths, yep. Yep, yep. yep. makes sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's not, everybody's goal to do that either right you're you're pouring internally to be able to scale and be able to have people replicate what you were doing mm-hmm. but there are also lots of entrepreneurs out there that like the solopreneur type lifestyle business so where did the desire for you to be able to scale be able to replicate yourself and and move larger and and uh, bigger on the external where did that come from so i, I mentioned that we we have to be very intentional about our focus mm-hmm. with personality studies because yep. it's it's hard to read um, your staff even though you spend a lot of time with them um, making sure that I'm doing that enables me to do something that I'm naturally wired up to do which is achieve like my strongest okay. trait is to achieve and and I've learned that of course through doing all of these studies yep. uh, trying to find out what how my the rest of my team is wired up I of course have to do myself as well right. so it is to achieve yeah. So okay. that that's where it really comes from. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yep. That makes sense. Yeah. Is that like a reference to Strengths Finder, or is it that particular Finder? one? Is yeah. Okay. Yeah. And uh, another one that I I really like is it's called Print. It's not inexpensive, but it Print shares your three uh, strongest subconscious motivators, and your they call it a shadow trait. Uh, mine is excessive uh, moderation in excess. I don't do downtime very well yeah yeah but to achieve succeed and it's strange mine is also competition but it's not the conventional sense of the word so I keep an internal score but I, I don't need to win the race it's just we're gonna continue racing until I win so is that what you mean by by not the conventional when it's competition is a motivator but it's internal competition it, it's internal competition for sure like even in our space and the, I don't know of another organization that is built exactly like SeedSpark is from a products and services we'll just yeah. speak about the technology firm um, having managed services digital marketing business process automation is not conventional um, so it, it's not competition where I know all the managed services providers in Charlotte I, I mean I do care but I don't really care because we're here to deliver our services and products to the value of our clients and good luck to the rest of everyone else yeah. right mm-hmm. so it's definitely internal competition my goal every day is that 
I become a little bit better than who I was yesterday. And, you know, if I'm comparing myself to someone, it's who I was, you know, last week. And so, you know, new in a kind of, I say new, you know, it's, we've been doing this now for almost six years, um, but, you know, newer in a leadership role and now the CEO of, of many, many employees, um, I just want to get better. You know, like I know that I'm not the best. I know that I have things that I need to work on that I that aren't even aware to me right now, you know? So I think that when you're able to put yourself in a room with a bunch of people who are, you know, really smart, definitely smarter than me, you know, that you can learn a lot from them. And, you know, like I don't want to just learn how to do things better. I want to learn how to lead better, right? Like I want mm-hmm. to bring things to my team that's going to make them better and ultimately make this company better. And that that's my desire, you know, like I just want I just want people to around me to get better. I want to get better. And I think that's really the ultimate goal. And, you know, pulling it back to our core values, you know, core value number 10, um, is literally we're not stopping here, we're starting here. And that's an every single day value. And it's like, hey, you know, we realize that we're not perfect. We realize that, um, you know, we're going to make mistakes. We realize that we're going to learn from them and try to not make those mistakes again and just get better along the way. And, you know, for me, it's just about, you know, personal development so that I can, you know, use the position that I'm in to make, you know, everyone around me a little bit better. So you talk, you talk a lot, right, not just right here, but on your podcast and other things too, of surrounding yourself with people who are smarter than you or <laughs> better at different things than you. Yeah. Uh, where did that come from? Because that's that's a superpower when it comes to business, right? Yep. Because so many people, the ego gets in the way and they yep. want to be the one that's the smartest person in the room. So where'd that come from and how has that made you a better leader? Well, first of all, if I'm the smartest guy in the room, I'm definitely in the wrong room, right? So it's like, you know, I just want to be around folks who have more experience than me, um, who have, you know, done things better than me. Like, I want to learn from them. Like, I just, you know, I think it comes back to, like, you know, before I was a Christian, I was very focused on self and ego and all of that. And then since I'm, you know, you know, since I was you know, saved six years ago is just like, I just have a different perspective on life. Like I just want to, you know, be the best guy that I can be the best person, the best coach so that I can make folks around me better. And I think that's really where it comes from. Like I just, you know, I want to, you know, be a good leader, but I don't want to be a good leader because I want to be known as a good leader. I want to be a good leader because I care so much and love about these folks that work for me. And I want them to be really, really great at what they do, you mm-hmm. know. And ultimately, it almost goes back to, like, kind of the conversation around um, in the store. Like, we don't want to do, you know, really good just to make money. That's an outcome, right? It's yeah. like, you know, I want to do good because I think it's the right thing to do. But the outcome is that this team is going to be incredible and that the brand is going to, you know, um, improve from it, right? Yeah. So it's like I think when you, when you have that mindset, everyone kind of wins in that, and that's okay. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I um, – totally fine saying I'm not the smartest guy in the room. I'm no, I know I'm not the smartest guy in this room right now. Um, and that I'm cool with that. You know, I'm learning from you guys and you guys have a lot to offer me and hopefully I have something to offer you. Right. And I think if we all have that mindset, um, that, you know, we take the ego out of it, we can, you know, we can improve our lives, you know, just the three of us sitting in this room together. Right. Yeah. And it, it's vice versa too, right? Nobody is ever the smartest in the room at everything, That's but right. everybody has something to add. Yeah, hundred percent. And if you can find the value that other people have, and those are your blind spots or your weaknesses, that makes you more whole. Right? 100%. So you can then lead the company and love on people and give your guests a better experience because you're surrounding yourself with those types of people. Yeah, and I, you know, I just would kind of, you know, to put a bow on this, I would just say that. 
the more closed off you are from others' opinions, the more probably likely you are to fail. You know what I mean? Like, Mm -hmm. the more closed off you are from taking feedback, you know, like, if you're only ever going to think one way and never be open to others' feedback, you're never going to grow. You know what I mean? Like, you're just, if you're always in that defensive mode and, you know, you're always, you know, doing this certain thing, like, you're you're just never going to get better, right? So it's like, if we're just let it all out in the beginning, right, super vulnerable, you know, I think vulnerability creates speed, right? And then, you know, because there's no roadblocks anymore. It's yeah. just a smooth, smooth highway, right? So yeah. that speed then creates, you know, hopefully success in business and, you know, personal lives and, and whatnot. I think gift giving has accelerated a lot, even in the past five years since right. I started. And a lot of that is the thanks to, like we were talking about before, John Rulin. He's like the godfather right. of gifting. He wrote the Giftology book, which a lot of people, so a lot of people are like, oh man, we should be doing this. We should be intentional with our, yep. so people are more, um, I think, aware than when I, when I first started. Yep. Um, we still have some of those conversations where they're like, oh, you mean like swag? And we're like, no, not, <laughs> you <laughs> yeah. know, like so. And then there's like, oh gosh, like now I got to like kind of create the framework and, you know, uh, get to where we're trying to go. Um, but yeah, I think a lot of people are starting to realize like we should be sending um, just, you know, with all the data that's coming out, like you, you got to leverage a multi-channel integrated uh you know, marketing and communication strategy to really break through, people are realizing we need to be sending uh, not just tangible, you know, direct mail, but also like stuff that like it's personalized, it sticks out and it, you know, makes a, makes an impact. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, that's perfect. And one of the things that we've hit on with Giftology and and John Rulin is there's a big part of being intangibility there, right? You're going to give these gifts and you're hoping the relationship goes somewhere, but you're not seeing a tangible result. And I think that's one big difference that that you do versus most people in this space is you're creating a way to almost balance marketing and sales, right? How do you do the relationship and still make sure it's leading to future results? So how do you make that balance? Because I think it's a real big, it's a large struggle in in this space. Yeah, no, absolutely. it took me a couple of years to figure out too that I wasn't like the most masterful like relationship uh, gift giver like like mm. John and some of the other people that are in our space. But what I realized I really had a passion for and was pretty good at was um, creating a you know a catchy um, call to action message and boiling creating a story out of whatever it was that we sent that really conveyed that. It was mm. like, huh, that's interesting. We should maybe take some time to talk to these people. And that's what we try to help our clients do too. Um, you know, definitely like, you know, send a gift, you know, when it's, when it's appropriate, like if it's an existing relationship. But if, if it's someone that doesn't know you from Adam, you know, it can sometimes, you have to be careful because it can come off as a bribe, right? Like yeah. if you send something yeah, and then yeah. it's like, why, why are you sending this to me, Caleb? Like, you know, I'm sending this to Gary at BGW and it's just like, hey, here's this nice thing, please meet with me. Well, I haven't given you any like real value it's it's kind of like a transactional type thing it's like i sent you this thing we should meet you know so that's where we try to um, incorporate that marketing messaging and you know we've invested a lot in the the, uh, excuse me the design technology to be able to do that to be able to engrave different logos um, call to action messages and it's like in a really cool tangible presentation when you open it up and they're like oh wow okay this is a really sweet thing they sent me and this is why they want to talk to me whereas in giftology it's it's the opposite right so the idea for those of you that don't know in in giftology 
the concept is you're going to give gifts, uh, but it's not going to have any marketing. It's not be anything about sales. It's not even yeah. going to have your own logo on it, right? Which is fine, and it's great from a relationship standpoint, especially so like for my clients in financial planning. I love doing that because yeah. I'm not trying to market. I'm just trying to show appreciation. Sure. Um, but when you're doing it for somebody in a prospecting style, now it's it's right, right? It's almost misleading. You're saying here, give me give me some time because I sent you this this gift yeah. and that's I think that's where there's a big disconnect in, in traditional gift giving and what you see in giftology and things like that you yeah. can use it for appreciation but you can't use it in that style for growing your own business and getting sales no exactly and that's why like we um, so uh, on our platform we actually separate the two we have like marketing new business and we have like gifting appreciation that's perfect and the mm. um, what you're talking about like the gift the appreciation side is all about them right of course and, and then on be. the new business it's 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 integrating the both it's yeah. their brand it's your brand and it's coming up with a compelling message of like this is why we should maybe yeah. explore a conversation yeah because i think that's very and when people like mix the two it could get weird right yeah if i was showing appreciation <laughs> to a client and send them a, a cutting board i've used a couple times where it's a, a wooden cutting board and it's got their name engraved if i put my logo on that that's that's a gift for me right that's yeah. not a gift for them that's that's marketing it's yeah. not appreciation so i love that you separate the two yeah 